Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. How's everybody doing tonight? My name is Dan I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, Toby, thank you for asking me, Scott, and and he's not here, so we won't even thank him, um, for asking me to speak. It is an honor and a privilege to be involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. It's an honor and a privilege to get up here um, to, to do and uh, to be of service, to tell, to share my experience, strength, and hope. <laughs> um, my sobriety date is September 14th, 1989, and that's because I was dumb enough and desperate enough to follow the directions. I'm no different than anybody else in this room. Um, and they told me that, you know, you say your sobriety date for one reason, to show somebody that it works. Um, because all I have is today. You know, and that's all that really counts. I do not subscribe to the theory that whoever wakes up the earliest is the most sober. Because if it was that easy, I would wake up at 4.30, 3.30, four days a week and drink on, on three others and the other one I don't know. Uh, that's not what it's about. It's about putting our lives back together. And I'm no different than anybody else. And my story is no different than anybody else. The big book tells me exactly what to do when I get in front of a podium. It tells me to share in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it was like now. And, and I always joke that I could be, I used to drink a lot. Somebody gave me a little bit of hope. My life changed and life is great now. And it could end right there. You know, but I'm, I'm supposed to reach out to you and paint that uh, hopeless, uh, picture of hopeless, incomprehensible demoralization. And, and, you know, I don't know what makes me an alcoholic. I don't care. It does not matter, because I've been given a solution in a life beyond my wildest dreams, and that's what matters. You know, that that's what's important to me. It, it's, it's not important about what I got, how I got it, what causes it. it it's irrelevant, in my opinion. And I'm going to try and separate my opinion and from what really happened in my experience. And because sometimes they're two totally different things. And, and for, for the guys that are visiting from USF, when you go to a meeting like this, we're not paid by AA. We're not endorsed by AA. The only thing is somebody asked us to get up here and tell our story. Um, because I think if you if we were paid, you'd want your money back that you put in your basket after hearing me speak. Um, like I said, I'm no different. I may have started drinking earlier than most people. I drank more than the average eight-year-old, and, and um, <laughs> I'm an Irish Catholic. It doesn't make you an alcoholic. It helps. It makes you a little thirstier, a little guiltier than most, but I grew up in a house that, you know what, drinking was okay if you did it in the house. You know, if it stayed in the house and it happened in the house, it was all right, as long as you didn't go out and embarrass yourself outside of the house. And, and I don't remember my first drinks because they really don't count as drinks. A glass of wine at dinner when you're little. You know, Dad, he's watching a ball game, and he asks you to get a beer out of the fridge. And, and I, I can remember this, asking, what, you know, can I open it? And, and I still, you know, that sound that it makes, that psh, I get happy when I hear that. It could be a can of soda, but my ears perk up, and I get a warm, tingly feeling inside because that ease and comfort that it brought. And, and then I can ask him, you know, can I have a sip? And then I can remember him going, whoa, 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 stop. I don't know if I was an alcoholic, but I, I, I remember my first drunk like it was yesterday. You know, I, I was I was nine years old. You know, 
Um, we were down in Fort Lauderdale on vacation. My parents were down there with a bunch of their friends. My two older brothers were down there with, with a bunch of their friends. They're going out every night having fun, coming home at God only knows what time. And I'm with my cousin and a friend of mine, and uh, I went to my brother Jim, and I asked him, can you get us a six-pack? And I was expecting to know, what are you, crazy kid, you know, sure. And uh, we played quarters. Um, none of us could do really well, so we just sat around and drank. Now, you got to understand, when I was nine years old, um, I was tiny. I didn't grow till after high school. Um, I was probably like, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 pounds, you know, look emaciated. I always felt different then. I, I never felt a part of and even in my own family. Um, I felt different and felt like I didn't belong. I swore up and down that I was adopted and didn't belong to these people. And if you look at my older brother, we could pass as twins, you know, um, and we're six years apart. But I just didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't have that personality, that outgoing, and I felt alone and isolated. But that night of my first drunk, something happened. I was able to go out and vandalize with the best of them at nine years old. I was able to go out and talk to the girls that were at this little rec center down there and, and do stuff. And, and I don't remember any of that. They told me that because I blacked out on my first time drinking. I woke up the next day and I had that hangover that we get that, you know, it's like we ate paste. And I drank a glass of orange juice. The toilet bowl drank a glass of orange juice. And, and um, you know, I didn't think that was a hangover. I didn't know what it was. I, I was nine, for Christ's sake. And, and um, I had an aunt that was down there, and, and she goes, he's hungover. And everybody else was like, no, he can't be. He's the baby. And, and I got away with it. And that's the story of my drinking career. I got away with it. You know, I was the youngest. Um, and, and like I said, if you didn't do it outside of the house, it was okay. I don't know when I crossed over that line of alcoholic, but I know that alcoholic, that, that alcohol fixed me. I don't know about any of you guys, but alcohol saved my life. Because if it wasn't for drinking, thoughts of suicide would come in. It made me fit in in social situations in high school where I never thought I'd fit in. Um, it saved my life, and it served a good purpose for me. Um, but sometime I crossed that line, and, and drinking got bad. Um, and I'm going to speed it up because I don't like to talk about my drinking, but that's what it's like, that horrible, empty loneliness, you know, where, you know, I'll tell you this, and I don't know if any of you guys ever experienced this feeling. In the past almost 25 years, I've never walked by a mirror and went, F you, looking at myself. I've never done that. I've never gone in front of my parents or my loved ones and tell them, you know, get that little feeling anymore. You know, that I, I, I went out when I would drink with the best intentions, of stopping at maybe one or two. Get that good feeling that I tried on that, that first drunk, to try and get that feeling back. And, and uh, something happened where I couldn't stop. And people would ask me, Danny, why can't you just stop at one or two? Why can't you just stop at three? And, and, and like it says in our book, I don't know. And I'd sit there dumbfounded and say I tried and make up stories and excuses. And, and the fact of the matter was, I, I didn't know I was an alcoholic. Um, I got kicked out of three colleges um, by the time I was 20. Um, a .83 grade point average cumulative does not get you invited back to a lot of places. And, and you know, my, my version of the story is any idiot can get a 0, 0.0, a .83. I showed up somewhere and put forth some effort. But, you know, um, I was asked not to come back to these colleges, and I started working. And, and by this time, my alcoholism's catching up with me. I'm losing jobs, losing friends. Um, 
my family is, is done with me. They never gave up on me, thank God, but they, you know, they, they were done and they couldn't talk anymore. My brother Michael at this point is, uh, met a girl, and the only reason I say this, this is important to me, you know, he met a girl and her father was sober. And, uh, here I saw somebody, now, they never said he went to AA, but he, they said he went to AA. He went to go meet his friends at that association. Oh. And, and, um, he didn't drink for, I think he might have had 30 years at this time. And um, he was normal. He had a great life. He owned a home heating oil company. He was a very successful businessman. He had three gorgeous daughters. He had people over his house and entertained. He did everything that normal people did. He didn't have a big horn sticking out of his head, because that's what I thought alcoholics did. Or they lived at a train station and drank rock-up wine out of a brown paper bag. He never said or preached to me, you know, you got a problem, you need to do something. He'd always say something, you know, when you're sick and tired, come talk to me, I can help you. I had no idea what he meant at that time. You know, and it's Mother's Day, 1989, and uh, I've made some uh, commitments to my family that were important to my mom. Um, I was supposed to go down to Philadelphia for a a graduation, uh, well, you, you got to understand, in a Lenihan house, springtime is confirmation, communions, wedding season. When you have over 100 first cousins, there's something happening all the time. And, and so, made a promise to go down to Philadelphia to, to go to a graduation, somebody's communion, somebody's confirmation, and uh, my best friend was getting married in New York City on, on Sunday, Mother's Day, and... Uh, all the guys I grew up with were graduating from college and coming home on Monday, Tuesday, and, and I went out and disappeared. And, and uh, you know, by this time, I'm out of my parents' house because when I came home with that .83, my dad says, you're not living here anymore. Um, get a job and get out um, by tonight. You know, he was, by tonight, you know, and, and that's what I had to do. And, and, you know, I've always landed on my feet. There was never any real consequences. I've been very lucky, very blessed that way. And, um, you know, so uh, I, I miss these three things that I'm supposed to go to. And, uh, and I'm at a wedding in New York City. And, and uh, I hear my dad's words that said, uh, take a good, long, hard look at yourself. Now, I knew that I drank differently than all my peers. For some reason, they had the ability to stop at 2 in the morning and not go into New York City. Now, there was always another knucklehead like me that would want to go into the city. We would miss the trains out, and, you know, we're catching the commuter train going the opposite way in, in first thing in the morning. And, and uh, so I'm looking, at, and I see these guys, and I'm like, you know, they're knuckleheads. You know, they're big mouth-breathing, knuckle-dragging Neanderthals just like me. What's different? And, and and I'm thinking to myself, and I went into the men's room, and, and I look at myself in the mirror, and uh, it was one of those FUs at myself in the mirror, and uh, I'm like, I drink too much. It wasn't an alcoholic, because again, at this point, the alcoholic was the bum. He was the guy on, on, with the brown brown paper bag drinking rock-up wine. I'm 22 years old. I got a job, kind of. I'm planning on going back to school, maybe, you know, um... And I see my mom coming at, out, and, and uh, I, I don't know if this came out of my mouth by me just trying to deflect from from heat from meeting the commitments I made with her. And uh, I go, I think I have a drinking problem. 
And, and, and I stopped myself, and, and, and I think that's when I really admitted and knew that I did for the first time in my life. And she goes, Is it, the reaction she gave me was great because it wasn't what I expected. She goes, that's great. Try and have fun tonight. We'll talk about this tomorrow. And, and uh, because if she told me, let's do something now, it wasn't happening. Don't worry about it. Continue what you're doing. We'll do something tomorrow. Um, I made it to work the next day. I went over to my parents' house for dinner the next night. It's the most uncomfortable dinner I ever had with my parents. You know, the only thing that could be heard was the, the knife on this, on, you guys know that, when nobody's talking and, and the person sitting across from you chewing, that's all that was heard. <laughs> Dinner's over. I'm putting a couple dishes in the dishwasher and I'm thinking I dodged a bullet and mom goes, let's go. And we go to church and I'm like, this ain't working. Well, I've tried praying. I grew up in, in a faith and went every Sunday. And I had a God in my life. I didn't like him. He didn't like me. But I was supposed to show up every Sunday and say thank you for this miserable existence I had. I started walking into the chapel. She started walking over to the rectory. And I'm like, oh, I'm screwed now. And I went over to the rectory and knocked on a door. And, and uh, Monsignor Ryan opened the door. And he goes, your mom says we have something to talk about. And I'm like... Gabby, old lady. Um, and I sat in Monsignor Ryan's office and we talked and, and he said something to me. He goes, I've been waiting for this. Waiting for what? And, and he reminded me of a story. My parents have been coming down into this part of Florida since 1970 or something. They've always had a place down here. Um, they'd always come down for Easter. And as we got older, we didn't want to go down to Easter. And, and the promise that we'd make our mom was we'd go to church on Easter Sunday. And uh, one Easter Sunday, um, I had to make, I had to fulfill that promise to mom and go to church on Easter Sunday. I was so hungover and so drunk that uh, I couldn't make it all the way through Mass. And I'm walking out the back door of the church, and Father Ryan's coming in to help the priest, and I threw up all over him. And, and I blocked that out. And um, he told me something that I, he goes, don't worry, I know how it feels. So now I'm sitting in front of this guy, and he told me he was sober. He told me that he had to go to treatment, and he told me all about alcoholism. He told me all about the stuff that we talk about here. That AA isn't a self-help group. It's a help-each-other program. You know, uh, he told me that, you know, do you want to go to treatment? And I remember screaming at him, I just don't want to ever feel this way anymore. And his answer was, good. That wasn't the answer I was expecting. And, and, he, and, and this went back and forth for, for about two hours, and... Um, he gave me a phone number to call, and we went to a speaker meeting the next night. And it was a meeting just like this, and in New Jersey, it's two speakers and a leader. Um, the guy that spoke was nothing like me. He was out of the inner city. He had different color skin. He had a different orientation, but he told my story. He spoke of that horrible, empty loneliness, and, and uh, he spoke of the emptiness. He spoke of that hopelessness. And that was where I was at, because I didn't want to live the way I was living anymore. I couldn't. I couldn't. I was sick of saying I'm sorry. I was sick of hurting people. And I was sick of running and hiding. Trust me, I, I didn't want to do And uh, me being the arrogant SOB that I am, I went to Leo and I said, when did you tell him I was coming? And he's like, I don't know these people. Now, that was the day, two days after Mother's Day. I didn't get sober then. I came around AA. I learned um, that you can come late and leave early. Um, other substances became important to me, but they didn't do the same thing alcohol did for me. They didn't even come close. 
you know, alcohol fixed me for the longest time. So here I am, not working a step, not participating in AA. And what happens? July 4th weekend, and this is my version of the story. It might be a little different than reality, but, you know, it's it's close. Um, we had a, a sand court, volleyball court in my yard. My neighbor next to me had a big, giant pool. And you guys all seen the Jersey Shore? Well, the adult version was Manasquan, where all the college-age kids go and hang out in bars. And we figured we'll go down there for Fourth of July weekend. We'd have, we had a house, um, but we didn't want to sit in traffic, so we figured we'd party at my house for for a little bit. And my version, I went out and I bought water and soda with no intention of drinking, because I knew I couldn't drink. And, and my good friends, again, my version of the story, drank all my water and soda. What am I to do? The keg's right there. It's been a couple months. One's not going to hurt. I had no mental defense against that first drink that they spoke of. And I had a drink, and, and I had three of my friends going, don't do it, you're doing so good. And I had four over here going, yeah, the old Danny's back. What one? I'm drinking, and I'm off to the races. And I'm trying to convince myself, and it's the first time in my life that I ever tried to control my drinking to prove to myself that it wasn't alcohol, that you people were crazy, and I couldn't do it. During that time period, a guy that I went to high school with, who was a few years older than me, he, he came into Alcoholics Anonymous at my second meeting, and he said, hey, patted me on the back and say, I saved a seat for you. Glad you're here. I called that gentleman on September 13th, 1989, and asked him to be my sponsor. My life has not been the same since. You know, um, he did something that nobody's ever done to me, for me. And uh, the funny part about it is I look back in hindsight, it's the same lessons that my mom and dad tried to teach me. It's the same way of living that I tried that they tried to teach me in that church that I went to every Sunday. And this is the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had to hear from a guy that spoke my language. And he didn't waste time because he said some things like, you don't have time. And that night we went to the diner and we went through my first three steps. Um, you know, and he's like, start writing. Now I'm detoxing myself, drinking lots. I've never drank coffee until I got to AA. I'm not addicted. I just drink it to keep the sh uh, headaches away. Again, my story, I'm sticking to it. Um, and and it, when, when I got sober, they didn't say things like, keep coming back. I thank God nobody ever told me, don't drink and go to meetings. They said, do this or you're going to get drunk again. And that's what I needed to hear. I got sober with a bunch of mean, crusty, curmudgeonous old-timers that God forbid, now I'm 22 years old, God forbid a woman walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. God forbid she was under the age of 30 or 50, and I looked at her, I would get a cane whacked across my shins. And, and, and I thank God for that, because that's what I needed. Now, you may need, you might need something different, but I needed that kick in the ass. I grew up in a house that a kick in the ass is always a step forward. Good or bad or different, kick in the ass, you're always moving a step forward. You know, so that night, you know, my, my sponsor asked me two very important questions because at this point in my life, I still thought the alcoholic was the bum sitting on the, uh, at the train station. I thought, it, it, that's what I thought an alcoholic was. And he asked me, 
You know what to me goes, Danny, when you want to stop, can you stop? And he goes, Danny, when you start drinking, can you put it down and stop when you want to stop? Can you stay and stop? And I'm like, no. And he goes, awesome. He goes, we're not supposed to diagnose anybody here, but for you, I'm going to make an exception. You're an alcoholic. That's the definition of an alcoholic. You know, it, it explains in our book an allergy, what an allergy is, an abnormal reaction. You know, people much smarter than me can go into the genetics and all that. I don't care. I got it. You know, what AA has given me is, has been amazing. You know, those first three steps, you know, I remember sitting at the diner with him doing the steps, and, I, and, he, and he asked me, he goes, do you have a power greater than yourself? I'm like, yeah, I believe in God. He goes, that's not what I asked you, and he put a couple other adjectives describing me at that. And, and, and I said, yeah, and he goes, I'm like, what do you mean higher power, power greater than myself? And he goes, you have something deep down inside of you in your heart of hearts that if it's between you and a drink that you can turn to that. And you won't drink. Now I believed in God, and I've been praying to God my whole life. And, and some of those foxhole prayers came true. I remember driving into the Lincoln Tunnel, and I remember waking up, and my car was in the vicinity of my house. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, what he meant. And, and we sat down there, and, and, and we talked about. I saw when I came around earlier all these people getting better. I saw that smile beaming out of their eyes. And I saw that these people had something. And I said, well, everybody in that damn church basement's got something. You know, I'm going to believe what they believe in. And I don't know if that was my exact words or not. But really what, what came of that was I, I believed in, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous could work for me if I could, if I could go through with this. And, and, and that was the beginning of some type of faith in something other than me. And the layman's terms, he was, he put it this way for me, because he had to dumb things down for me. I like to keep things real simple. He goes, your way doesn't work anymore. Let's try this way. Your best thinking and actions got you here. Let's just try this. Um, so we got to that third step prayer, and, and we prayed together, and, and uh, I really didn't do anything about it, you know, because uh, I wanted to debate him on this God thing. And he goes, this step has absolutely nothing to do with God. Your brain is like scrambled eggs right now, you know, so don't worry about one other than there is one and you're not it. This is just a commitment to do the rest of the steps. When you get to 10 and 11, you'll have a better understanding of the God. You know, we got to clear all this garbage out that's blocking you from that sunlight of the Spirit. And we got right there, and we got right. And uh, I, I dilly-dallied with my fourth step for about four weeks, and... and when I say dilly-dally, I mean I lied to my sponsor every Wednesday and Thursday night and told him I was working on it. We're almost done. I don't know if it was lazy. I don't know if it was listening to other idiots in the meeting saying what a horrible thing it was and believing them. But uh, he goes, it's been four weeks. You're almost there. And I'm like, yeah, right. He goes, good. Let's meet tomorrow. Whoa. Um, I didn't bother picking up the big book looking for directions. Um, I wrote my life story. It was fiction. Um, and, and, and it, it should have won a Pulitzer Prize. It was masterful, you know. Um, and but we sat down there, and he looked at this, and, and he goes, "What is this?" And this is the compassion, patience, mercy, 
powers, call it whatever you will. We took this piece of paper and, and turned it into my four steps. We did each column. We went down that list to hit this. And then we went down with the next one. And he spent some he spent some time with me. You know, and, and it, it wasn't looking for a whole world. We found some patterns. We saw some causes and conditions. Let's get to the next part. And, and it went rather quickly. And I did my fourth and fifth step that day. He told me to go be alone somewhere. I went alone and went and been, went alone, said a prayer. And I was on to six and seven. You know, six and seven. The three three sentences. You know, how hard can it be? For a guy like me, they're the hardest steps. Because that's where I have to change. That's where I have to find the humility to realize that I can't change myself without God. You know? And that I'm going to make these same mistakes over and over again. By this time, my dad comes to me and he goes, um, I'm going to transfer to Houston. He worked with Exxon. He had 30 years in, or over 30 years. He wanted to get his 35. He goes, Here, here's your choices. Uh, I went back to school at this point, and, and I realized the secret to college was showing up for class. And, and uh, I was going to Seton Hall University part-time, working full-time. Um, he goes, here are your choices. You can continue to live like you're living. And he didn't mean what's over, but he saw my apartment. It was horrible, you know. It was expensive. It was tiny. It was 9,000 years old. Um, I couldn't afford it, really, because I'm paying for school, working, and paying off the debts of my my amends. Um, and the three choices were you can buy the house you grew up in off your mother and I, which you can't afford. He goes, you may get some of your idiot friends as roommates, and they might help you out, but I don't trust those guys. not a good idea. You're doing good. You're going to school, but, you know, you're never going to get your head above water. Um, or you can come move into Texas with us. And I'll think about helping with school again. It's like, holy crap, this is a big decision all of a sudden in sobriety. There was this, you know, for a guy like me, that's a major decision. And um, so I talked about it with my sponsor, prayed about it. We did all sorts of stuff. Um, bottom line was, you know, my, my sponsor, I, I don't want to make it sound like he controlled my life, but he says the best thing for you is to go to Texas, and, and that's what it was after doing all writing. But he said, the only way you're going to be successful in Alcoholics Anonymous, before you move, you need to finish your nine-step list. Slow down. And, and But he's true, and, and uh, that's what I was able to do. And, and, you know, he played a dirty trick on me, and, and a lot of people here in this room have probably been through this, and then we're sitting down there reviewing my eighth-step list, and he goes, circle the three you're never going to do. Yes, he is kind of hard. I circle three, and he goes, "Have him done by Saturday." <laughs> for, I don't know about you guys, but the hardest amends for me was my mom, my dad, my brothers. You know, and, and and I got to make those amends. I got to make those amends to my dad. About eleven years ago, my father's cancer came back, and uh, my mom needed help. And she asked me. And the only reason I was available for that, or the only reason she knew she could count on me, is because 24 years ago, I looked her in the eye, and I owned everything. I didn't tell her I was sorry. Mom, I'm sorry I gave you all this sleepless nights. What can I do to make it better? I can't give her back that. But what I did give her back was her son. The son that she can count on. 
that she knows when she puts her head on her pillow tonight that she knows I'm going to be safe and she's going to be okay. I made my, my amends to my brother Jim. This may mean nothing to you guys, but my brother Jim and I, we hated each other. I, I shouldn't say we hated each other. We loved each other way too much. And uh, we, we used to fight like, like brothers, bare knuckle brawl. Now my brother Jim is probably about two inches taller than me. And probably about, well, I'm a little fatter now, so he's probably about 10 pounds heavier, but he does not have an ounce of fat on him, and we would go at it. Um, when I made amends to him, he asked me to be uh, the godfather to his only son, and he named him after me. It may mean nothing to you, but it means the world to me. I didn't come to AA to get my family back. I came to AA to stop feeling like that scumbag that I thought I was and I've gotten so much more you know and, and, and so I'm getting ready to move and we're, I'm working 10, 11 and 12 and I made the mistake of saying something like well I'm working those maintenance steps and my sponsor stopped dead in the tracks and he, he goes what's the matter with you I thought you were getting better you want to maintain what you have and he explained to me that's the real growth steps that's the steps, that, that's the cash and prizes of AA. You know, my experience is a little different. You hear people come into AA and say, AA taught me how to love me. Not my experience. I loved me. I didn't like a lot of the things I did. I may not, I may have disliked myself at some times, but you know what? I loved me. I was so arrogant and narcissistic. You know, what AA has taught me is much more important than that. It's taught me how to love somebody else unconditionally. It's taught me how to get out of me. You know, that 10, 11, and 12 step, the 12 step for me, you know, that's the party step. You know, I, I think every AA meeting should be a pep rally for Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, for me, that spiritual experience, I'm not going to get the burning bush, even though I think I, I deserve one. The sky isn't going to open up and God isn't going to talk directly to me. He's given me some of the ugliest messengers and angels that have come and told me how to be a better human being. And, and what I mean is that guy that's come off the street. You know, I live in God's grace. And, and you hear the stories about pink clouds and stuff like that. I'm in a pink cloud every day. I just got to recognize it. You know, God loves me no more than anybody else in this room. You know, and, and, and I got to remember that. And, and that's me getting out of me. 12 step is the opportunity where I get to go work with somebody to share what was so freely given to me, you know, for, for, and nobody asked for anything in return ever. And, and when I'm sitting down, that's when I feel that true spiritual experience because I'm sitting down with a sponsee. And if I read this book by myself, I'm asleep by the third paragraph. It's boring. It's awful. I, I mean, by myself, this book is pathetic, I think. He's an idiot. You know, I'm that guy. I sit down with my sponsor. He's reading to me. He's reading word like on top of the world. We're talking faster. We're spitting on each other because we can't control it. And, and I'm the same way that when I'm sitting with a sponsor. And what happened is, all of a sudden, I'm caring about that guy more than I care about me. And that's the true spiritual experience for me, that a selfish, self-centered person full of fear. I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, never lost a fight. Never cried a tear. It's the biggest lie. I cry myself to sleep most nights. Got my ass kicked a lot more times than I'd like to admit. You know, AA's given me that when I walk by a mirror that I, I like that guy. 
he's all right. He's not perfect. But you know what? He's doing the best he can with what he's got. He's trying to grow a little bit and give back every day. And that's what that's what the twelfth step is to me. When I when 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 I when I had the I moved to uh, to Texas when I had two and a half years, and, and uh, I've never experienced an AA club or an out an A club that you you see down here. And, and um, I heard a lot about them, and I heard a lot of pretty cool things. And I, I'm in Texas. And, and I go to this meeting in a, in a clubhouse, and, and I, I just moved there six hours ago. I go, that's why I'm at a meeting, because that's what they told me to do. And, and, and um, I shake hands, and I say, yeah, my name's Dan. I'm from New Jersey. I just moved here, blah, 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 trying to get some numbers. And, and uh, you know, they asked if anybody was a newcomer. Not one person at that group or at that A club came up and said hi, came up and said welcome. I wished every person in that room awful, mean, horrible things, um, because that's not what I was taught in AA. And, and, um, but in doing so, I walked around and, and I found a phone number uh, of something called Hickeypaw, which was the Houston Conference of Young People of AA, got involved with that, and all of a sudden I met a bunch of other young people in AA that were doing the same thing I was doing. And, and uh, I got a sponsor down there, and we went through the steps again, and, and uh, you know, I finished up school. I went to, uh, finished up school at Texas Tech, and, and um, you know that's some of the things I always wanted to do. And I'm not saying that you know only because I'm sober that happened, but you know what, the opportunity was there because I was sober. You know, uh, sober sobriety doesn't give me anything but the opportunity to do the right thing. You, you know, um, I have a relationship with my family that's unbelievable. I have a relationship with both my brothers that I wouldn't trade. I have true friendships today. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous has given me so much more than just not drinking. And, and to me, that that's what AA is nothing to do with drinking. It's about learning how to live sober. It gives me a design for living, which works in good times and bad. You know, and that's, in all, that's not what I came here for. What I came here was to stop feeling that way. To stop feeling the way that I was feeling that, you know, what happened? I, I didn't mean to overshoot the mark. You know, and, and you know, and and if if you guys are new, or if anybody's new here, you know, I thought during that first thirty days, you know what, I may have overcorrected. Uh, either a little drastic here, entire abstinence. That's pretty drastic measures. You know, I'm 22. I may have been a good kid who just drank too much. That's why it's so important for a guy like me to do an inventory, because I find out what it is, and, and, and you know. I hope I was able to reach somebody, give that glimmer of hope that I got at that first AA meeting. You know, my life is far from perfect today, and I'm far from perfect. You know, but I got the opportunity and the tools that when I do something wrong, I can fix it. I don't say I'm sorry, I go back, what can I do to make this right? To me, that's the true amends. You know, and I, I, I get the honor and privilege to review my day every night. Every night to see where I'm, if I'm moving forward or going backwards. I was told that I suffer from a fatal and progressive illness. And that if I'm not doing something going forward, I'm getting closer to my next drink. And, and there's no such thing as stagnant and alcohol. It's anonymous. It's my opinion. But it, it's either you're growing and going forward, or you're working your way toward your, toward your next drug. And there are no guarantees. And, and you know, when, when I, when every time I speak, you know, the message that I've tried to 
come across here tonight, Bill puts it much better than I did. So I'm just going to read it and close with this. For anybody who's new, if you're struggling and been around a while, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, and the confession of shortcomings which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and when we'd come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we'd been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven and have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence which we have not even named. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.